Hey there, we're the West Slot Pirates and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John McComb. And I'm Eric Skoskowsbo. Well guys, we're going to Vegas. Um, and I think what's really cool about Vegas is where you could maybe put a few, a uh, few bucks down on some improbable things, if yeah. you will. Um, or 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 catch a Britney Spears residency, Sam. Sure, that maybe sure, what Ab- absolutely. Yep. <laughs> um, Let's Purdue. go, boys. Let's go. Beating Unre- Purdue, tw- number one Purdue, twice. In the same calendar year, storming the court twice in the same calendar year. Add into it a field storming of Purdue um, after the Cats became bowl eligible. Uh, that's three field slash court stormings against Purdue in 2023. But oh my god, basketball! I just I, I just want to credit John, who did not miss a beat when roughly. Five days before this matchup on Friday night against Purdue, Purdue ascended to number one in the nation in the polls. John, within minutes, tweeted, I think it was a raccoon gif, but <laughs> yeah. basically basically like, oh, goody, just in time to play Northwestern. And um, that could not have been more prophetic. What an incredible night. It It was. And... For for reasons that I promise I will get to later on, I did not consume most of this unbelievable product in the moment <laughs> as it happened. We'll circle back to that later. Um, obviously, I've gone through, I've watched every play of this multiple times since. What a run. What a game. Obviously, this was... The Big Ten, the announcers towards the end of the game, like, we're just kind of apoplectic and being like, Big Ten basketball, like, what more can we say? Because it was the ultimate advertisement for the product. You had two schools playing totally different styles of basketball, led by two players having incandescent performances. And at the end of the day, our players' incandescent performance was just a little bit brighter, and our team played just a little bit better. Um, but Northwestern ulti- like came out, played their game, the game they wanted to play in the style that is clearly the style this team is going to ride with all season, and it was good enough to beat the number one team in the country again. Yeah, this it's down the stretch. This was a magical game. I also missed the first half of this, and so I did not get to experience what many Northwestern fans did, which was a, I mean, not only was just just a classic, incredible, you know, amazing apex moment for this basketball team. Um, it was also a classic Northwestern comeback, um, like we've seen so many times in so many different venues and sports, et cetera. So in the first half... Purdue got out to a big lead, up 13 at one point over Northwestern. And I don't have a great sense of of what happened in this stretch other than Northwestern basically went scoreless for like like five five or six minutes, um, which we've seen from the in the past from Collins coach teams just and frankly from before, like like 
the team goes cold for a little bit, um, and then they had another another you know mini stretch of of a minute or so, but but Purdue wasn't scoring at that time um, toward the end of the first toward, toward the end of the first half anyway. So like the, the you know overtime and the end of this game, the the the, the buoy Edie back and forth like you were alluding to, John, just the incredible perseverance of Northwestern's depth um, with the foul trouble they got into. All all that stuff is predicated by what midway through the first half felt like a runaway game in Purdue's hands. Can, can we shout out uh, Blake Preston real quick? Yeah, um, sure. I mean, this, this guy comes in after Nicholson and Hunger have both fouled out. Um, you know, Nicholson played 12 minutes and was in foul trouble pretty much the entire way. And, you know, he, he fouls out. Hunger comes in 14 minutes. He fouls out, you know, at clutch three from Hunger down the stretch. To, that was just wild and out of nowhere. But with no other big guy on, on the roster, Blake Preston comes in, plays through overtime with four fouls. And, like, there's nothing behind him. And he's going up against the reigning player of the year. A guy who's got him by, like, seven inches or something like that and to come up with the steal at the very end that pretty much cinched it like hats off to Blake Preston that that guy I I, I mean I, unbelievable performance it's it, it what's what's amazing about it in the moment is that the the announcers probably midway through the second half were talking about you know, one of those classic, like, oh, yeah, we talked to Coach Collins, and probably the biggest concern he has for his team is a lack of, like, experienced depth, you know, on the, like, winning games on the bench. Beyond, you know, obviously, beyond, like, Bowie and Barry are really experienced guys. You bring in Langborg, like, he's not experienced with Northwestern, but he's got that experience from Princeton, et cetera. Um, but then on the front line, like, Nicholson's the most experienced guy by far. You don't have the, the Verhoeven-type um, player who transferred in and, and played a bunch, a bunch of games, and and I guess Preston is as close to that as it as it comes, having you know been a been a starter at Liberty, Liberty, et cetera. But the 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 poise down the stretch, and we've talked about this with Boo Booey in the past, but I think for the whole team in in overtime to come out and play the way they did, and and what what really struck me on the court specifically was they were so smart about they they knew if Edie got his hands on the ball. It was it was going to be trouble, and it's just it's so hard to not foul that dude. Yeah. And when he's got his hands on the ball, and I think they also realized like if if we try to do what we did last year, which was just kind of beat him up as as he was getting the ball, that's not going to go well either because we're like they'd be getting called foul for fouls all night. It felt it, it almost almost feels like the refs reviewed the tape of last season. Um, before before this game started, um, but in that in that vein, you saw multiple, like at least two or three plays where Northwestern anticipated the pass is coming in to Edie, and we are going to get it before it gets to him, including that Blake Preston one, and just such an exceptional job of awareness and. Um, anticipation and that like to me that's what won the game was those three plays in overtime where they stole it or denied Edie um so effectively and it's all mental it's all mental 
it's not it's, that's not an athleticism thing. It's not a it's not a scheme thing. It's not a drawing up a play thing. It's all mental discipline and anticipation. I'm glad you brought up the mental part because there's a huge theme that that folds into that that's all relative to mentality in this game. And it goes to everything that happened in this game. It goes to why it's so frigging dumb that Northwestern's what 29th right now. After this game in Purdue is fourth. <laughs> yeah. Because what? ridiculous. Like, do do ra- rankings don't even matter anymore, like be- clearly in be- all sports. It's just, yeah, right. right. Like, <laughs> it's just so, so dumb because the whole tenor of this game is let's be real, neither of these teams stopped the other team. Northwestern made those clutch plays towards the end, but both of these teams 100% played their style of basketball and absolutely imposed their will. And that goes to the mentality thing, is Northwestern played a positive style of game the entire game. By what I mean is, we fully accept that you will exert your will, and what we do on our end will just be better. And that's the way that it's going to go. And to your point about like the, about the steals and stealing the entry passes, that's part of the Northwestern style. Saying, look, you get it down to your guy he's going to the line or he's scoring a bucket. That's just the way you play. That's your dance. You know what? We're going to steal the ball a bunch of times. We're not going to turn it over. This team turned it over three times. Northwestern played the cleanest game you can possibly play in this game, right? And being like, you're not going to be able to stop us on the perimeter. We're going to have your guys at the perimeter because our perimeter guys are just way better. You're the biggest, slowest, strongest, lumberingest team embodied by like perfectly encapsulated by the largest slowest strongest lumberingest (laughs) player in college basketball right that's your brand this is why all the stuff like the hand wringing about the fact that we got absolutely annihilated on the offensive glass oh my god it is what it is okay like that's their thing they're like best in the country at that and we put one big out there for the entire game, right? Like our strategy could have been, and I think a lot of teams would do this to be like, we have to stop what Purdue's doing. Nicholson has to be on the court. Hunger has to be on the court. Those two guys have to be out there for large stretches at the same time because we have to be doubling him in the low block. Northwestern didn't do that. Northwestern threw that right out the window. Northwestern's like, we're riding and dying. It's four guards, one big down low. They're going to get a ton of buckets. We'll get them back at the other end. Totally worked. It's well, totally... there's there's yeah. There's, go ahead. there's one other side to that because it's not like the strategy isn't just about like big or small, et cetera. Like Purdue shot 26% from three. They were five of 19. This is, this is a team that uses Edie to beat you to a pulp down low. And then when you collapse on him, they bury threes. Well, they didn't. Right. And guess what? It's, it's hard to get offensive rebounds when, when your defenders are all out of the, all out of the perimeter, ensuring that the other team isn't bombing threes. And yeah, we gave up some open ones, but I mean, a great example is for Lance Jones, one for seven, two of 11 from the field. Yeah. Did not like, did not have a good game fouled out. Like that, like that's, I don't know that he's, if he's their secondary scoring threat overall, but like sure seemed like he was and Northwestern like mitigated that, that issue in, in a really effective way. And so like, yeah, like the offensive rebounds, like that just does not bother me. 
because you're, to- you're totally right. The it's outcome like, look, matters. Right. You look at you like Smith, seven rebounds, but 0 for 2 from 3, right? Jones, five rebounds, but one for seven from three, right? It's right. It's because the guys were Ding up at the perimeter. And it's not just about like the idea of like, we're going to go small and that's how we're going to win. That ain't what it is. It's that we have four sick ass players who happen to be on the smaller side and we ride or die with those guys. And you know what? Yeah, Zach Eady had 35 points. Northwestern had the second, third, and fourth leading scorers in this game. Right. And those guys of those guys that I just named, that's three guys pouring in 72 points and turning it over twice. Just ludicrous. Okay. So it's like, yeah. Go ahead. Finish your thought. It's just, I mean, it was totally the mentality of a team. These guys like Barnheiser, Barry, of course, we're going to devote pages like auditory pages of this podcast to boo booey but it's all these guys being like we will do what it takes to win this game it's not about the game purdue plays it's about what we do and that's going to be enough to win the, the there's a um a real styles make fights uh mm-hmm. component to this northwestern purdue matchup um Last year to a degree, but especially this year with what you're describing, John, of like hulking big Purdue versus this four guard lineup that Northwestern likes to go with because because it's their most talented guys. And I think it's um, there's a testament to Collins and company being willing to operate that way and and doing it effectively. Like this isn't this isn't we're going to play our game because we're stubborn, which like I feel like we've seen in the past. Um, it's, and it's not, well, we can't play the game we want to play because then we're going to get, you know, screwed up over here. Um, it's a real like effective combination of doing something a little bit different, doing it your way, but making sure that it works. And I, and look, I totally get the Northwestern fan knee jerk because we've all been there. This is all of our collective lived experience to be going, but oh my God, what are we going to do about this offensive rebounding thing? Oh my God, what are we going to do about the fact that our three bigs, it's like that scene from Pirates of the Caribbean uh, of Jack Sparrow riding the boat literally all the way down to the tip of the mast and then stepping like, <laughs> like Our bigs had 15 available fouls and they used 14 of those fouls. I get all the hand-wringing. Such, such a great visual. Yeah, I mean, it's just like, but I, I get all the hand-wringing, okay? Like, we get it. We are Northwestern fans. We have the scars of lived experience, etc. Just know, ain't all the other teams on our schedule going, boy, I can't wait to play Northwestern and get all those offensive rebounds. They're going, sweet Jesus, how do we stop Bowie, Barry, Barnheiser, and Langborg? That's what they're saying right now. They're being like, this team just came out and gave zero Fs about whatever Purdue did and beat them straight up playing their style of basketball. How the hell are we going to stop that? That's why it's so frigging dumb that Northwestern's 29th and Purdue's fourth. Because like Scus said, styles make fights. This felt like two teams that wanted to play totally opposite styles of basketball and swung haymakers at each other for two halves and an overtime period, 
and played straight up and one of the teams just beat them. And the other thing I wanted to mention about the mentality thing, and this goes back to the first half, is what was going on in the wild side for this entire game, but particularly that first half. Because like we said, Purdue got up by as many as 13 points and going back and watching that again, the wild side just did not care. You could just tell the mentality of all the students and the energy that was coming out of those student sections, even just, and again, we weren't fortunate enough to be there, but even just listening to it on TV, it was the mentality of some like, like half drunk redneck fishermen that have a massive fish on the hook and are just paying out line, just being like, you swim, you go for a run. You just swim and swim and swim and swim. You go deep if you want to. I'm just going to pay out line and pay out line and pay out line. And when it comes time, I'm going to reel you in. So you swim as much as you want right now. But at the end of the day, me and all my drunk buddies are going to be standing on the dock grinning while we take photos next to you hanging on the dock. That's how this ends. That's what the energy felt like from that group. It was just like, we're just waiting. 10 points, 13 points. We were all here last year. You're going to give it up. We're going to come back. It was just that era of like energy and expectation. It didn't feel like the student section flagged. It felt like they were just biding their time and waiting. And then as soon as they came back in, they pulled, you know, that energy pulled Northwestern right back into the game. It was awesome. It was like a packed house uh, with a rocking student section that fully expected to win that game. It was fantastic. I, I, I got to say, John, you are a real whiz when it comes to analogies here tonight. <laughs> oh, 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 you're, you're teeing me up, huh? All right. <laughs> All right. So give, let's give the want, people what they want, John. You've got to hear the story, John. All right. So this was basically established. Let's, let's go back to go forward, shall we? <laughs> so... Twice in my Northwestern life, I have been in the seventh circle of hell relative to what was going on, relative to it, an incredibly important Northwestern sporting event. One was the triple overtime win against Michigan, uh, Michigan State, which I watched the majority of in Galena, Illinois, but then had a dinner reservation that I had to leave for right as that game was going into overtime. And experienced every overtime of that triple overtime game refreshing ESPN GameCast at a restaurant that had no TVs. That was the first one. But that one wasn't as bad as the one that directly relates to this experience, which was the 2020 Big Ten Championship game. Due to plane tickets bought long before that season happened, um, I was on a plane for three quarters of the 2020 Big Ten Championship game. It was one of the most horrific experiences of my life. And effectively ran off the plane when I landed at the airport, grabbed my laptop, finally found a place where I could get reception and watched the end of that game. This all leads to where we are uh, relative to this past Friday night. Because way back in August, My wife, who is a big fan of the musical The Wiz, along with her very good high school friend, who was the maid of honor at our wedding, they're both big fans of this musical, and it came to Chicago. So they excitedly 
wanted to buy tickets. So my wife came to me and said, we want to go to this show on a Friday or Saturday in early December. Uh, and because of the trauma that I carry from past experiences, the second she said that, I went and said, when is the 2023 Big Ten Championship game? Because I know Northwestern has no chance based on what's going on with this football program right now of making that Big Ten Championship game. But I will not be the sap who schedules this thinking there's no chance and then has Northwestern make that Big Ten Championship game. Well, hey, as we you, are, know, you, were a fi- you were a 52-yard field goal away from exactly. that being the, the The real meta question is if you had gotten tickets for Saturday for the Wiz – would we have beaten Iowa? <laughs> good. It's, it's a good. It's a good point. How much sin can I eat for the rest of us, Scott? That's the question. <laughs> uh, but so, and and like I, I just as I said on Twitter, I would be feeling so good about my decision to dodge that bullet. And what did I do? I said, "Why don't you get it for Friday, December first? Because I never thought to check the basketball schedule. And as we all know, Northwestern tends to play games on Wednesdays, Saturdays, Sundays. Um, and sure enough, about two or three weeks out, I became aware of just the locomotive that was speeding toward me. And then you've all been in this situation. Most of you have a Northwestern story that's similar to this. And you find yourself kicking yourself for that mental place you go to, which is sort of like, because there's that voice in the back of your head that's like, well, if the game doesn't end up being good, then I won't have missed anything. And then you have to zap yourself with a lightning prod and say, no, that is not the right way to think. Whatever is good for the team, whatever is good for all of my fellow Northwestern fans, that's what it is. But suffice to say, we go to the Wiz on Friday night. It is a great show. Big recommend. Broadway in Chicago. Check it out. Virtuoso um, voice performances throughout. And in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, I'm just going to unplug. I'm not going to experience the game. Uh, I'm just going to let it all play out. I'm just going to, you know, my wife, who, as all of the pirate wives do, support our podcast and these ventures. They bend over backwards to allow us to do these things. I am going to, this is night will be about this show. It'll be about my wife and our friends and having a good time. And when I get out, the game will be over. (laughs) Bend over backwards. My experience is more like a casual lean to the right. Yeah, 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 pretty much. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) But, But regardless, right, I'm thinking I'll get out and it'll be done. And good, bad, whatever, you know, I'll see how it goes. And I get out and I check my phone. And we were seated up in the balcony. So I get out, leave the balcony, go out to the, the outside aisle, the outside hallway, check my phone, open it up, turn it on, and there's 30 seconds left, and it's tied, and I consider going back to the balcony and jumping off the balcony. <laughs> I'm like, are you kidding me with what's going on right now? And then, right as my wife is looking at me being like, Oh, this is about the game, isn't it? I realize that on my GameCast, Boo Booey must have just hit what maybe is one of the two greatest shots in Northwestern basketball history. And now Northwestern is up 
two points in this game with three seconds left. And now I'm trying to figure out, all right, what am I going to do here? Maybe Northwestern's just going to win it. It's my fate to miss this, and so be it. And then we all know what happened with the ED inbound, and we all know that he tied it up. And at that point, I go, oh my God, this game's going to overtime. And we all run out of the theater, um, I think it was the Cadillac Theater, and just search for the nearest bar that has any televisions. And I go in, and there's one random bar. We order a couple drinks. I just pick a random drink off the menu. They hand me something that has smoke coming out of it. So I'm drinking some <laughs> smoking drink. <laughs> Well, Where they were pull you? Up, well, they pull up uh, on one of the TVs. It's direct TV. It's raining. The feed is horrible. It's going in and out. I'm drinking some smoking drink and trying not to lose my mind. But I caught the last minute and a half of overtime. And at the end of the day, it was, it was, it was just so ludicrous. So this is the classic situation. Folks, always check every schedule. But with that said... This was one of those, you all have had an experience like this. It's a lived experience. The overriding thing for, for all of us, and, and we know, I mean, they showed in overtime, they showed Kayla, they showed the whole rest of that wild side front row. Oh, my God. Um, they were absolutely losing their minds, right? And I was like, I'm just so glad that everyone who's in that stadium got to experience this. I just, I'm, I'm to do it two years in a row, really after Northwestern having never beaten number one before ever um, is really incredible. And we, you know, we talked about it so much last season that it was the first time that men's basketball fans were really getting a chance to enjoy and um, see the potential and the power of the new Welsh Ryan. And when you packed that thing with fans um, when you had a majority of Northwestern fans and what, what could happen um, in that building and how special it could be. And there have been, there have been many examples of years with expectations where we have been let down. And I'm not saying that I'm not saying the thing here. What I'm saying is it is really amazing that after a year like last year, there are still special nights to be had in Welsh Ryan. Yeah. And, and that the, this, the, the building of a brand, the building of a following, the building of... A culture. Just the, the culture, yeah. And, the, and like, the, like the, the emotion of being in the, in the stadium for that. I mean, like it, like... For anybody who was at that game on Friday or, or, or the game last year or both, like I, I I suspect that their feelings about those games and about Northwestern basketball and about this team are akin to how I feel having been in the stadium for 54-51 and in the stadium for the Minnesota victory right comeback. Like like that is an emotional moment that sticks with you. It's a it's a core memory to pull a Disneyism. And I just it's so cool to see Welsh Ryan coming alive and people getting to experience this. Um not just on a on an incredible run last year, but to now see, you know, some some sustained level of of success and and magic in that place. John, I, I want to put your mind at ease here just for a second. When did you book 
the tickets that was in, in August. <laughs> Probably you, yeah, and the schedule not you been had, released yet. The schedule had not been released. It did not get released till middle of September. You had no way of knowing. Well, there, there we, you go, buddy. There we Absolution. go. And, and karmically, that's probably why I got that minute and a half <laughs> at, the, at, at the end. Um, it's so funny, Scuzzo, like what you're talking about, too. Like I think about – I mean it was funny. We were actually like – I was like we were establishing on Twitter today, what's the right nomenclature? Because this will be Purdue 1 and Purdue 2. And the fans <laughs> – we're like right. Roman. I hope you're give credit where credit's due. Roman Roman numerals are the way to go. So it will be Purdue one and Purdue two with Roman numerals. But I think back to like kind of the similar way, right? That everyone who went to school in ninety five, ninety six thought of those two Michigan wins, right? Yeah. Like those two always existed in tandem, and that's how these two Purdue games will always exist exist in tandem. And it's that it it goes to what Scuzz is saying. It's the magic. It's the magic of, oh, I was there during this era when Northwestern had Purdue 1 and Purdue 2. These things live in lore and legend, core memories, like Scuzz was saying. Um, I, I, I thought you were going to give some, some pay some tribute to uh, Sports Gym Doc or at Sports Gym Doc who, who dropped uh, Purdue and Purdue, like spelled per- D-E-U-X, uh, Purdue. Uh, Scuzz, Scuzz, it is Purdue. Is how you say. <laughs> I don't speak too, French. Like and, and it has I don't to, speak French or listen to hip hop, John. Um, <laughs> and you have to say it with haughty French contempt. Is how it has to be said. Perde. Uh, um, but, but that that's the most spectacular answer that we got. Um, but yeah. I, I'm, I'm, uh, your broader point is well taken that these these two games are are etched in in lore and people's memories in just an incredible way. Well, let's go to – so let's talk about the – and again, you already talked about it. You talked about the – to say the least, yeoman's work that Preston, Hunger, and Nicholson – look, we know that a lot of these guys had short shifts where they just accrued fouls. It's pulling something out of – I mean, like like Preston and Hunger pulled major contributions – out of what for those guys were horrific games in a lot of ways. They get to enjoy the end, but it's like, you think they just want to be out there just like repeatedly just fouling the reigning player of the year, but like such was the way, right? Yeoman's work from those guys, okay? But obviously there were four just spectacular performances in this game, and I feel like we can kind of get into them and go in reverse order. Barnheiser yeah. is where is where I would start. The stat sheet... I mean, I'm telling you, the stats say Barnheiser had eight points. I just think we're all to a point with this guy now where when he first came to Northwestern, we would see him back guys into the paint and put them in the spin cycle and be like, do that. Do more of that. Do that 20 more times. And now he does it 20 times a game. And it just feels like he scores 20 points even when he scores eight because you're just like, this guy just bodies people. He goes to the rack. He gets into the paint, effectively strangles these guys down in the tight spaces and gets the shot that he wants every time. And a couple didn't drop this point. This guy's going to pile up points this season. Um, And I'm just like, you watch him in the way he's so physical. And obviously we all know that he has this unofficial role, right? To be like, look, we're going small. That's what we're riding and dying with. So it's like, if someone's going to get boards and it's not a big, it's probably going to be you. And he does that, right? And we know about the defense that he plays, the on-ball defense, et cetera. And I'm just like, even in a game like this where he point-wise was eclipsed by the other three, I, I just love everything I see from him. 
I think he is the he is the key that allows this strategy to work. And it's exactly what you just said, John. His his physicality and his athleticism at the same time allow him to play bigger than than his frame. And yeah. I mean he's not a four, right? But that's the role he's he's having to fill and it, it it's what allows this lineup to be on the court at the same time. It This is going to be a weird comp because everyone's going to be like, what are you talking about, man? Um, it reminds me of Keith Watkins in the nickelback role in the 2015 football defense. Oh, it's great. Because um, he, he was so exceptional at playing that position, defending the run and in coverage, his, his speed off the edge when we would blitz him on occasion. Like it was just an absolutely unique skill set that allowed everyone else to be exceptional at what they were doing and just like it, it really tied the room together and i i feel like barnheiser is what ties this team together absolutely i i get it. the keith Watkins reference love it there you go for for some of you currently in college or even just out of college fans that was a guy who injuries robbed him of really what he could have been and but when he was in that nickelback role he was a dynamo and it's a totally a great comp um if we talk about Langborg, the big thing about him, and this has been true all season, we are, and I know his name is going to come up again later, we are a team whose all-time leading scorer, John Sherda, has famously the weirdest looking shot of, <laughs> of just, it's like, I, and I almost feel like that's a symbol, right? Like, we are the team with a guy who has a release like that that everyone discounted and that we, as we know, and as from when we had him on the pod this summer, John Sherna is still making bucks with in his paradise in the Canary Islands, uh, you know, well over a decade later, right? It's the most money delivery, but it just looked really strange. And I feel Quite like, self-aware about it too. Oh, yeah. And I feel like we are the team that has guys like that, and then it feels like we play – and Iowa, right? Where it's like, it seems like they have three guys on the court at all times who did nothing but study like perfect shooting form and are just jacking threes or whatever. And then we get a guy, Ryan Langborg has the sweetest stroke I have ever seen. That guy's shot, it looks like it was created in a lab. Every single time he releases the ball, he could shoot it from half court and I'd be like, that's going in. That shot is perfect. And I'm just like, that... To have that guy on the court at all times where it's just like you look and you're like, if that ball's missing, there must be wind in here because his shot is perfect and just and he can get it whenever he wants and it's quick. And as we all know, he's a gamer with a ton of tourney experience, just like other guys on our team. And just down the stretch, having a guy like that, and he was four for five from three in this game. He had those really weird free throw misses that are kind of the exception that proves the rule because his free throw stroke is amazing too. But he's just a gamer and he's that outside offense that is capable of just brutalizing other teams. His, his ability to get his own shot is um, com combined with Barnheiser and then of course Boo, right? Like that to me, that's what set this sets this team apart offensively. Um, but he's he's a fun guy to watch. It is going to be really fun to watch uh, his chemistry with the team grow throughout the course of the year. Um, and it just like, well, we haven't had like this kind of weaponry on offense since 
since the Sherna Juice Crawford years, um, mm. and even then, like this this team is man, they're loaded for bear. They are, and then uh, here's by way of an awkward transition, loaded for Barry. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh okay. Oh, now, that. That, oh, you're, now you're just reaching, man. Yeah, just, that was. Yep, yep, it was brutal. Uh, what can I say? I got to see it. I got to see a minute and a half of this game. I get to do what I want. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> uh, the is Barry. I feel like when we look and we're like, oh man, think of the think of the Purdue win last year. Think of the way the stretch run of last year's season went, and think about those two tourney games and the reps and the meaningful ball and the big time ball that these guys got. And how will that bear fruit? To me, Barry is the number one guy from that. Obviously, Barry is a guy who was a big-time recruit, and it feels like he's been growing into his role on this team the entire time he's been at Northwestern. And he is a guy where it's like, he's such a ludicrously good athlete that when he has that bit of, and obviously, like, we had Mr. Climb on my back in this game, but Barry had a big a, a big dose of climb on my back down the stretch of this game. Being like, you want a big three? I'll give you a big three. You want a couple of huge free throws? I'll give you a couple of huge free throws. And I'll play defense like crazy. I think I'm one of the best guys on the court. I think we're going to win this game. And it's like, he's like, when he's on, that's an elite player with NBA athleticism um, just that you have. And again, we know. Barry's not going to give you 21 every night, but he's got the confidence to come through for you. And he was a massive contributor in this game. That that confidence is key and that defense is key. So obviously with Chase Audige no longer on this team, uh, you, you, know, you needed somebody to step up uh, amidst the guards to play a little bit of a tougher role on Dean. And I, I thought, I thought Barry has been playing really, really well. Um, and I, you know, he started the season struggling uh, on offense, particularly from three point, we talked about in the Dayton game, like willing himself um, to a, to a rebound off of a off of a, a free throw attempt, um, and then converting a couple three pointers. But like he he has put energy into his hustle and his defense that is paying dividends with his confidence and his effectiveness on the other end of the floor. So the first three games of the year, he shot thirty three percent from three. Um, roughly 25% overall, uh, never cracked double digits. And then from game four on, 13 points, 14 points, 14 points, 21 points. And you can, you can see his confidence growing. And it's, it's on both ends of the floor. He's clearly a leader on this team. He's, he's, a, he's a critical player. And um, it's just it's so great to see him coming into his own in this way in what is, I assume, his last year with the squad as he's a senior. But um, this is, like, without any one of these three guys that we've talked about to, to, to this point, like this game, and Preston as well, right? Like, like and Nicholson and um, Hunger and the contributions they were making, like this game doesn't probably end the way it, the way it ends. But there is, <laughs> there, there is one ring to rule them all, as it were. Yeah. Um, and, number zero, uh, the, the ring of number zero. There you go. My, my God. Boo booey. Yeah, I mean, where where do you start? I mean, I, I mean, we're I mean, we're gonna try to put it in historical context for you in a little bit. This might be the greatest basketball player uh, game a Northwestern basketball player has ever had. I mean, that's the starting point. It's thirty-one and nine with no turnovers in to beat 
the number one team in the country. And who's 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 kind of known for their their defensive mindedness as a head coach, right? Like like I feel like I feel like what Matt Painter is known for over the however many years he's been there is tough defense and a massive front court. I and I mean Boo was the guy in the rated R movie in this game. I mean, he, <laughs> it was first of all they, like, Vegas, baby. You're bringing it around. You're, that's right. Exactly. We're gonna get there, right? He was he was the guy in the rated R movie. First of all, he almost got teed up at least twice. He had that dog in him this entire. This is a guy who, at the end of the game, had to be dragged back from the Purdue bench because he wanted his pound of flesh. At the end of overtime. And this, he just attacked. This is a player who is probably the most unstoppable guard in college basketball. This might be a first team All American. If he just keeps replicating the pace that he's on right now, he's going to be first team All Big Ten. And All American is 100% in play. He just outdueled the reigning player of the year. Okay. Um, but it's, He's 10 for 20, right? He only hit two three-pointers. He hit nine free throws. Attack, attack, attack. He was relentless. Going to the lane, they couldn't stop him. He was obliterating these guards, right? I remember looking at Lawyer and being like, Lawyer just wants this game over with. I'm like, they are, he's just abusing these guys out there. Right. Well, and, t- 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 yeah. testament to the coaches, because that was such an effective thing that they went to in the second half specifically. Right. Of like, get the switch, get Jones off of Boo, get lawyer on him and let him go to work. And um, like, obviously, Boo had to execute. Right. But um, that was that was a tactical switch that that happened going into the second half. that was really effective. And just like his it's like. He's like, it's a Mortal Kombat. He's got all these finishing moves where you're like, I thought about his shot, right? The shot that had Edie not hit that shot with two seconds I want, I, Like, this that, is, this is tier, where I'm so fixated. Yeah. yeah. This, you look at that, and if you watch it, because they were comparing it to the Indiana shot from last Indiana, year. Indiana, yep. Mm-hmm. And the thing not is, the same. they're not the same shot. Exactly. And if you look, your instinct is to be like, man, this shot comes out flat like you look and you're like this is not a teardrop it's sort of like a lateral trajectory shot and you're like man that doesn't and then you're like don't you understand like he knew this would be the shot before he ever drove into the lane that shot that shot that maybe wasn't the biggest teardrop that came off that that came out of his hand early and went that's exactly what he wanted to do on that play that play literally, however he played it in his mind before he did it, that's what happened. That's the kind of game he had. It was literally just, I'm going to do this, and you're not going to stop it. Now I'm going to do this. I have tricks for days. You'll never catch up with me. I'm just going to keep scoring points. If this game would have just kept going, he would have got 50. He would have got 60. Okay? We have one of the most unstoppable basketball players in the country. I, I just I want to double down on that because I think it is so interesting specifically that Indiana comp. And I was thinking about this in the moment because the, the, the criticism after that Indiana game last year was that he pushed off and um, I'm, I, is it um, Trace Jackson who was guarding him in that game? Um, 
at, at, at the time, I, I can't remember exactly who it was, but like when Boo would drive at the end of games last year in those moments, like there was still like a tinge, a tinge of him being like on the edge and out of control. Yeah. Less so than in years past. Like he really brought it together. We talked a lot last year about his calm and his poise in the waning moments of games. Um, and that Indiana one, like he drove, he nailed it. There was, a, there was another game like a, like a week or two later that he did the same thing and it didn't go. But to see the presence of mind, as you were talking about, John, to do something different and, and, and to know what the shot needed to be, to also know that like you try, you, you try, you know, getting in close on Edie and then getting up it up over him teardrop style, like that's going to be pretty hard. He had to create, he had to drive and then also simultaneously create space before he let the ball go. That presence of mind, that evolution of his game, that that expansion of the trick bag is so incredible to see. I mean, he could have come back for his fifth year and it like, ah, oh, gravy, you know, wash, rinse, repeat. Let's let's see what we can do. But no, this dude has continued to push himself and to push the team. You saw him in that leadership role, reassuring Preston after the bad foul in OT, pushing guys, congratulating guys, like I don't, I don't, I don't know if we've talked about it on the pod, but like he gave an impassioned speech to the oh. team last after the, year after the UCLA game. Yep. After yeah, after the UCLA game, and unbelievable UCLA, speech. It, it was like it's like tear inducing. Like it oh was, my god, the the emotion in his voice, the love for that locker room, for that team, the recognition of like this is the last time we're all going to be together in this manifestation. But my god. I love every one of you and, and like this journey is, is, is all of ours. We've done, we've, you know, we've worked so hard, we've earned it, et cetera. Like, like you can see him building off of that in this fifth year, which is such a testament to his, to his will and his drive and his leadership. Yeah. I mean, just the way, the way he's elevated, not only his game, but the, the game of everyone around him is just so incredible to see. And like that, you know, you wonder, like, okay, if he had gone pro last year, might he have gotten a sniff? Maybe. But to see him come back and elevate the way he has and to take that next step, that will open up doors for him at the next level that you might not have had, you know, go even as as early as last season. Our Our guy played 43 minutes in this game. 43. And for all of those 43 minutes, he thought he was the best basketball player in the game. Is he wrong? Do we know he's not the best basketball player in the nation? Do we know that? I don't know. He's unstoppable. We have one of the very best basketball players in the country. And I know we're about to get some kind of historical context for this, but we have one of the very best guys, and you should all enjoy that right now, while it's happening. There'll be plenty of time to do it in retrospective, but think front foot, right? Don't, instead of worrying about the offensive rebounds and worrying about how this team's going to deal with other teams' bigs and stuff, focus on the fact that every other team on our schedule is like, that guy might be the best team, might be the best guard in the country. How the hell are we going to deal with him and all of his compatriots? That's what the kind of team we have right now and it's just like, just ride this because it's incredible. 
And I think on that note, I think it's uh, time to get to our seg- our uh, Lake the Post segment uh, presented by Teamworks Media. Have you ever thought about building a Westlaw Pirates-like community for your business? If so, we've got your solution. Teamworks Media, a brand marketing and content company, is here to help you tell your brand story better. Better yet, you can work directly with the founder, Jay Sharman, known on this podcast as Lake the Posts. The same expertise he's brought to brands like ESPN, the Big Ten Conference, and Northwestern University are now available to you in an affordable way, directly with this Wildcat superfan. Contact Jay directly at 312-446-9435 or jay at teamworksmedia.com to learn how to elevate your brand story. Jay had reached out to us with some historical comp- uh, context uh, for just how transcendental Boo was in this game and how, how to put that in context on, and, and you asked the question earlier, is this the best game we've ever seen a Northwestern basketball player play? And, you know, he threw out a couple uh, possible uh, comps and, and just kind of wanted to bat those around a little bit. Um, you know, one he mentioned was uh, 2009, Kevin Koble, uh beats Michigan State at the Breslin Center. 28 games winning streak uh, Michigan State was on. And Coble went for 31, uh, 10 of 16. And, you know, they went to the NIT that season. But, like, the way Coble took over that game was was huge. That one I always remember for it coming out of nowhere. Um, yeah, it's and, so unexpected. And ultimately the Cats, as Jay points out, like, they – went to the NIT. That was a classic grind and NIT appearance team. They went seven and 17 and 14 and got in, ground their way to eight and 10 in conference. But that Michigan State game came early in the year and it just kind of stunned everyone. And right, like I think that the visual for all of us who were there or watched it at the time was almost that like Nowitzki one-footed fadeaway that Koble had. And he just annihilated them with that shot again and again and again in Breslin. And it was right. I mean, it was he it was just a, a situation where one guy absolutely and of course Cole was an awesome player, but he just absolutely went off in a way no one saw coming that stunned us as much as it stunned the rest of the nation. God, that team that I mean like the the that team um had a young John Sherna a young Drew Crawford. Um, Michael Thompson is a junior. Um, it was, it was the Kevin Coble show. Um, but I like, I think, I think what strikes you when you hear, cause that, that's, that's, there's, there's two performances on this, on this list that we're going to talk about that I feel like have the, the, um, I don't kind of like stand up to the stats that, that, Boo put up in this game, but the, you know, the, sh- the shock of that coming out of nowhere. And then of course, where, where that season ultimately went was, um, was great for Northwestern at the time. I mean, that, that, you know, chasing NITs in those, in those days was, you know, we hadn't gotten to the tournament yet. It felt like Carmody was building towards something. This was, it pales in comparison to knocking off Purdue for the second time in a row. Yeah, it's true. Um, uh, March 10th, 2011, uh, Big Ten Tournament, Juice Thompson uh, set the uh, Big Ten Tournament scoring record at the time with 35 points against Minnesota in the opening round. Um, 
going then getting to the quarterfinal uh, rematch against Ohio State and uh, Jared Sullinger, who you know earlier in that season when Ohio State was number one, we almost we almost got them uh, back in 2011. But uh, you know that Juice Thompson game. Uh, what what are your recollections of that one? I'm just glad this one exists because <clears throat> Juice deserved to have one performance like this. This is a guy who. To the best of my knowledge, he's either still playing professional basketball right now or he just stopped. Juice is a guy who's had a long and decorated career in Europe, just like his teammate John Sherna has. A fantastic guard who very much existed in a very non-traditional system, as I think we're all aware, on offense and defense that his job was to run the system at both ends. This is a guy who spent most games patrolling the baseline in a 1-3-1 zone. Like, we did not do what everyone else did. And Juice was an incredible distributor and a guy who's been a phenomenal point guard, again, at the pro level for a long time, who very much operated entirely within that system. And potentially in another offense, in a more free-roaming system, in you know, at some other time and place, um... He has a lot more high-scoring games, but for this night, he was absolutely unstoppable, and I'm so glad that he gets to be up up there in the you know up there in the high Northwestern record record books with this performance. I think I'm trying like I'm I'm I had some stats that I had pulled together, and I'm I'm struggling to find them in the moment here, but um, I believe he had four assists in that game and only two turnovers, so very similar to Boo. Uh, in, in this Purdue game, like not only did Juice just light up the scoreboard, but he was so effective not turning the ball over. Um, and that that really enabled um, uh, the team to, to win that game going away. And and also in the interest of like going through this exercise of trying to pretend like there are comps for what Boo did, Juice's game had stakes. It was a Big Ten tournament game, right? Yep. Um and so he did it in, in the tournament in an elimination basketball game. So that was a pretty big one. Going back a little bit further, um, Big Ten Tournament, 1999. Uh, Evan Eschmeyer. I, you know, th- this is back in my era. It's, I know, uh, we all covered uh, our, a bunch our, of Eschmeyer. Like, yeah, yeah. Th- th- this is our like our era in school. Um, a Big Ten Tournament, uh, United Center, number one Michigan State. Uh, again, I, I think with all of these, we, you know, we're looking at games against you know high high ranked teams, and Esch goes for thirty points, um, and we almost had him. Mateen Cleves hit a game winner, thirty seven seconds left, and uh, we missed the final shot uh, and, and lost that game by two. But um, you know, Eschmeyer in his day was. Like he he took very ED like, <laughs> yeah no he he yeah he, he was dom- he was seven feet he was seven feet tall and he was a lot broader than Edie. yeah mm-hmm. he he dominated in a way that Edie does now, and I I mean I think what we were all there at the time with Eschmeyer there was very much the feeling in Northwestern Nation that he had a long career at Northwestern because he majorly battled injuries while he was at Northwestern and. That was this was either his fifth or sixth year, correct? Sixth, um, sixth, uh, no, sixth. Fi- fi- fifth, because he fifth. came back the next year. Right, right, right. But he had, and, but I mean, he had kind of battled through that and become this unstoppable force in the low block that the rest of the big term really had trouble with. I mean, obviously, 
the team around him was not at the, the same level. And again, it's like these are the things like part of the reason this one matches up is because this was the number one team in the country, but we didn't win the game, um, let alone win it twice in a calendar year. Right. So, I mean, again, but it was, I mean, Eschmeyer is we're talking about the all time Northwestern greats here. Yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was not just the number one team. I mean, they went, they went on to win the championship that year. Um, yeah. Michigan state did, you know, that was their, that was the first, uh, Izzo championship. And, um, I've been trying to find a box score of this game and I can't find other than, other than the 30 points, surely Eschmeyer pulled down a ton of boards. Um, I remember, I remember one scene of him even like, I can't imagine he was actually like dribbling the ball up uh, across half court. It's not really something he did, but, um, walking up, you know, in like the, like, one of the last couple possessions, like walking up the court with um, the point guard who's dribbling the ball up and just like a towering figure that just dominated so much of that game. Um, and it was his, it was his last for Northwestern. I think I, I misspoke that he came back the following year. That was his last year at Northwestern. 1995 Dion Kenneth Lee uh, set a record with 11, three pointers in a game against Minnesota. Uh, Jay was doing play by play. Uh, for WNUR at the time, um, but uh, it was not a. I mean, that game was was wiped out due to the point shaving scandal. Um, you know, Jay just let us know like he like he'd never seen the guy any more on fire, uh, playing out of his mind. But the game ended up just not mattering because of uh, all the uh, off off the floor. Uh, shenanigans and that's probably the wrong word but like the the, the point shaving scandal of, of 95 and again we're talking about this is you know this is just a regular season game against minnesota where a guy got unbelievably hot and again like unbelievably hot in a really really special way record-setting way that unfortunately like you said the record doesn't stand but again when you're looking for comps it's like amazing individual performance but not to beat the number one team in the country in front of a packed house uh, going going into the Wayback Machine, 1964, Rich Falk, 49 points against Iowa in, in 1964 with no three-point line. Um, yeah, just an, another incredible, incredible run. Um, Did you say Rich Falk who would, who would go on to coach Northwestern? I did not get to that point, but yeah, okay. fill, fill in the gaps. <laughs> Yeah, no, he he became Northwestern's head coach um, later on, but this was, you know, he still has the record today for uh, points scored in a game from this game in 1964. Of of which the really funny story or component is is that um, so Northwestern uh, smoked Iowa in this game; they won by 20. Both teams were like eight and 13, eight and 15, I think, um, was their final record on the season. So that they, this was a late season game, no, none of the stakes for postseason, et cetera. Um, but the funny vignette that, 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 uh, Jay shared with us is that, um, Falk came out of the game with about four minutes to go because then he was up 20 and I guess Iowa's coach had recruited him really hard, had a lot of affinity for him, had a relationship with him, et cetera, sent his basketball manager down to Northwestern's bench. And he told, uh, head coach at the time, Larry Glass, put Falk back in because, he's got 42 points and you need six more points to break the record of 48 and quote, you're going to kill us anyway. Like might as well go for the record. 
And so he went back in the game and the record he got. The record that had previously been set at the uh, 1959 Final Four at Welsh Ryan. The the one that I the reason that I love this the Falk one other than just like how great that story is. I mean, like it's it's so hard to imagine that kind of thing happening today. Um, but the is the context of Falk is generally regarded as just straight up like in the conversation for greatest Northwestern basketball player ever, right? Uh, and obviously this season. Another guy in that conversation, Billy McKinney, is going to have his jersey retired, um, and which is going to be a fantastic moment at a Northwestern home game this season. I think of those because, <clears throat> on one hand, it's it's difficult and knee-jerk to throw around things like, this guy's the best player, this guy's the best player, because it's different errors, there are so many things. But on the other hand... I think everyone should really open themselves up to the possibility that Boo Booey is the greatest Northwestern basketball player ever so that you can enjoy it now while it's still happening. And we talked about the fact that if Boo considers continues the pace that he's on, he's going to this season break John Cherna's career Northwestern scoring record. We know, obviously, and you all know from when Cherna was on the pod or you've met him, the most humble down-to-earth, likable guy ever will be supporting Boo 110% if that happens. There would obviously be the fact that Boo would have done it in an additional year because of the fact that he's had the COVID year to work with. Um, but we're getting into semantics. If Northwestern... Well, well, go ahead. Well, as I said, let me, let me do some not semantics. And that's like that ironically, Jay gave us, the, gave us those five games for historical context. Not included was Boo's game last year against Purdue. Yeah, right. Where right. he was nine nine of twenty from the field, seven of nine from the stripe, um, four rebounds, three assists, three steals, three blocks, three blocks, total of twenty six points, um, only two turnovers in, you know, what at the time was, you know, easily the best win that Northwestern has ever had. The fe- like, and then. We talked about his stat line from from this year: thirty one and nine, with zero turnovers, and just an an epic like present presence and dominance over that game. As you know, as you said, John, like the best player on the court, um, and that is the the. This, the stakes here, and there's a long way for this team to go to get there. But the stakes here are going to a third NCAA tournament in the history of Northwestern going back to back. Like this is, this is the ape. This is the apex Northwestern basketball folks. Like this is the top of the, the, of the, of the, of the curve that this program's ever been on. And boo has been the most important component of it for two years running now. Oh, and and that's the thing. It's like you, right. None of us want to jinx it. None of us want to put carts before horses, but we should in the moment be aware of the fact that there are very easy to map out scenarios here where there isn't another Northwestern basketball player with a resume close to Boo Booey's. And that may, and it's like, so enjoy that and be in that moment right now. Like, 
live every Northwestern basketball game with the understanding that that is the player you are watching right now. Watch every second this guy is out there on the rest of the, of, you know, and say that you were there for it while it was happening and that you just soaked up every second of it while it was happening because it doesn't get more special than this. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And, and that's definitely... Uh worth keeping a hold of as we move forward through, you know, in, you know, got a couple more non-conference games. And then as, uh, as we turn the calendar to 2024, uh, back into big 10 play for real. Uh, thanks again to Jay. Um, this like the post segment brought to you by T works media. Uh, if you're looking to enhance your company's brand story, contact Jay at uh, J at T or three, one, two, four, four, six, nine, four, three, five. Um, again, thanks so much, Jay. We definitely appreciate the the historical looks and the historical context into what incredible, incredible performance we saw this past Friday from Boo Booey. If you or a loved one is seriously injured by someone else's negligence, hire Kent Sinson of the Sinson Law Group. After over a decade prosecuting murder cases in Chicago, Sinson opened his own firm focused on wrongful death and personal injury cases. He specializes in car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and other transportation accidents, as well as construction accidents, medical negligence, slip and falls, product liability, and more. Millions recovered for clients. No fee unless he wins. The Sinson Law Group. Compassion, empathy, and vigorous advocacy. Go to SinsonLawGroup.com or call 312-332-2107 for a free consultation. And go Cats! And now for something completely different. Vegas, baby, Vegas. We're going bowling. We're going to Vegas. Um, you know, we get your party hats on, get dressed up. Let's go. Yeah, it's uh, December twenty third. So you know, before Christmas, um, I saw a, a little bit of grumbling out there. You're like, ah, pre Christmas. You know what? I don't care. This is a bowl game in this season. That Every, Northwestern is going to just like it, everybody just do this exercise. <laughs> Pretend like imagine where you were on November 30th and what you thought about the state and future of this team. November 30th, 2022. Go back to what, like July 16th ish this summer and think about where you thought this team would be. Go back. If you want, you can go back. I, I bookmarked like, well, I didn't actually bookmark them all, but I, 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 I made note of many a Northwestern football is over. Northwestern football is done. They'll never recover comments, uh, over the summer. Um, like just, you don't have to wallow in it, but just, just for a moment, reflect on where we have all been with regard to the future and the prospects of this team in the past 12 months and ask yourself, even the most, the most optimistic person that I recall in the last 12 months is, is, um, uh, Rev DJ on, on Twitter, who by his own admissions, like said, I wasn't that optimistic. I thought maybe we get four or five wins. Um, I mean, a bowl, a bowl game was not in the, in the most like favorable, prognostications that anybody was even imagining in the past 12 months or even 24 months for right. this team and this program and to be playing 
in Vegas. And more importantly, like the game is the game. More importantly, this team gets 15 extra practices. They get the time and the trip to bond, to reward the seniors, the players that, that have that have lifted and elevated this program in this year in ways that none of us thought possible. And, um, it's all, this, this is, this is, this is the definition of it's all gravy folks. We were hearing from people online being like, I wish it was Kansas. I wish we were playing Kansas. I wish we were going to Glendale. We deserve to be in music city. We deserve to be in rely quest. I'm not saying any of those things are true. What I'm saying is to Scuzz's point, what you should do, is book a ticket to Vegas. Then when you get there, go into the first casino you see, go to the roulette table, and in honor of the Northwestern Black Gothics, take that massive stack of house money that you have and push it <laughs> over to black, okay? like or, or to our previous conversation, put it on zero. Yeah, or put it on, no, take it back. Put it all on zero and let it ride, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> you, we are all playing with massive house money, and it's like exactly like Scuzz says, this is a celebration, bitches. Like, there is... There is nothing but the larger context here, right? It's not about the team that we're playing, right? It's about that it's a bowl game, and it's about we all want to have a celebration. It's Las Vegas. Go celebrate. It's that kind of city, right? Um, I, I mean, and, Lord. And I, and I used to live in Vegas for a few years, so I, I will tell you firsthand, that is a place you want to go, you want to hang out, you want to party. Go there, celebrate this team, celebrate this season, Get excited about where David Braun is going to take this team moving forward because, you know, this is the culmination of a season just beyond what any of us thought of. And go celebrate that because that's what that's what this bowl game is. I, I don't care that we're playing Utah, that we saw them a few years ago in the Holiday Bowl. I, I don't care. It, 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 it doesn't matter. Like None of the guys on this team saw Utah. No. And, I mean, you know, I, I also don't care that Utah was ranked most of the season. Don't care. Doesn't matter. This is about us. This is yeah. about us going there and, you know, all held, all else be damned. It's For me, the fact that we're playing Utah is just a vehicle for me to watch Jared McGee highlights again of that fumble return. Like it's just... <laughs> again, again, Jared McGee, uh, Grand Marshal of the Las Vegas uh, yeah. Bowl Parade. Absolutely. I'm just like, it's it's all... Who knows how this game's going to go? Maybe it goes great. Maybe it doesn't go great. But we're all going to have this fantastic time celebrating the fact that we're in a bowl and celebrating the fact that everyone who gets to go to Vegas is going to have the time of their lives celebrating this miracle season. We all get in the entire run-up to relive how great it was last time we played Utah. Um, this is all just... It's all gravy. It's all house money. Just enjoy every piece of this and and if you you know happen to have a tolerance for travel risk on the morning of december 24th um i unfortunately do not so i i I can't make it work but if you happen to or if you happen to live within driving distance of the beautiful city of las vegas as so many northwestern alums uh in a certain city out west do um and, I, and I've already heard, like, my buddy Mike immediately texted me. He was like, he was like, Scuzz, 
will I see you there? I was like, dude, I'm sorry. I, I, will, I will get murdered <laughs> we're, for if, the next, if for anything the, happens, and I'm just, I can't risk it. For so, the next um, three weeks, we're all three of us are going to answer all the exact same questions we were asked when Northwestern went to Ireland. It's going to be the exact same thing. And, <laughs> and you're all going to get the exact same answers as last time. We have six children, all right, nine and under. Uh, and yeah, if we could make yeah. it work, we would, but it's not in the cards. Well, I like if it was if if we were going to Detroit, I was going to pack my my son up or bright and early on the 26th and drive up there. Um, but uh, but hey, like whatever I like, I don't I, he, you know, uh, like as broader uh, conversations around around bowl games and such have have clearly shown like the bowl game you deserve it. Like that's not that's not really a, a, a thing that exists in the lexicon anymore. Um as frustrating as that may be. And so I like for many, many years, for those who don't know, for many, many years, like there are like a ton of different like rules and stipulations, et cetera, that allow teams to be picked over other teams, even if they beat them head to head or this and anything. Like fairness is not a thing that exists. Especially when it comes just to ask, Northwestern. Ask Florida State. Ask Florida yeah. State how fair things yeah. are. Yeah. And with Northwestern, you know, we know we have a smaller alumni base, a smaller fan base than many of the other big 10 schools even even though we travel and show up pretty much every time that anybody puts us in a bowl um you know god god forbid anybody use any data to make decisions um in this in this space but whatever like again it's a ball game like this is awesome like ben bryant gets to go wear the purple again and 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 rock las vegas we get to watch cam johnson and aj henning we get to watch uh this this the you know cam porter and tyus Hyman, we get to see this defense play. We get to see Rod Hurd out there in purple again. Um, it's just, it's, it's, this is gravy. It's all gravy. And, you know, we're not going to spend any time tonight talking about the matchup because, you know, today is the first day of the transfer portal. And, you know, we've already seen a couple of guys from Utah put their names in, you know, their quarterback, their wide receiver. Apparently, their quarterback is playing on playing with one foot out the door. So it, like, trying to project what the game is going to look like is, is a fool's errand, especially in, in this day of, of the transfer portal. So we're not going to, we're not going to break it down today. We'll, you know, get a little bit closer to game time, but we will mention that our uh, ESPN bowl challenge will be live. Uh, by the time you hear this, um, if you head to our website, westlawpirates.com, uh, we'll have all the details on how you can sign up for that. Uh, it, it's it's just big fun. Um, you know, we'll we'll get all that put together and have have a lot of fun. I mean, it, we're we're picking games. We're having fun. Like it's it's our oldest tradition too. It started. We've this was the first thing we ever did on the pod was the bowl was was go through bowl games. I think what thirteen years ago. Da- yeah. Dallas Bowl against Texas Tech. It was the uh-huh. it was our. Yep. We had. Something probably like did a did a bull pick'em challenge for roughly ten to fifteen people. Now there are a few more of you out there that, that <laughs> might want to jump into this. Uh, yeah, all that information will be up on on our website um, by the time you hear this. So, in in that in that vein, I think our podcast turns thirteen next week. Oh, that's yep. right. We're, we're we're teenagers, boys. Yep. Yeah, we are. We are. <laughs> what do you know? Yeah. Just. I mean. I'm still luxuriating in, in this in Friday's game. It's just it's great. And like 
because it's finals week, there there are no games coming up. I guess we have Detroit Mercy coming up. It's not like, the greatest follow up to should, knocking should, off number one Purdue, but should mention Iowa. I mean, uh, Purdue has already played another Big Ten game and against Iowa and won it. The Purdue gift is just going to keep on giving for the rest of the season, folks. So buckle up for that. Uh, anything else to mention before we get out of here tonight? Do we do we play them again? Oh, we do. On January 31st oh. at Purdue, we play them oh, again. Boy. Okay. Great. Great. Maybe if things go perfect for them, they'll only be two and one in their last three against us. Or maybe we'll beat them again. How about that? Uh, they can always add a third Roman numeral. Uh, the um, I'm just to have that game coming out of the end of this football season. Holy crap! What a what a great run! Uh, how great are we all feeling right now? That's a thing. Like get to Vegas and party, man. This is great. Things are going really well right now. We're all really happy. Just just bask in it. Uh, so with that, we'll go ahead and leave it there for tonight. Uh, head to our website, westlawpirates.com, where you can leave comments and questions. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at Westlaw Pirates. And email the show, westlawpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics. And look for us in the west side of Ryan Field playing the red pirate flag, because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. For John Lacombe and Eric Scasby, I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye.